0: guys, welcome back to the show. Uh, welcome back to the Ventilator Podcast by the Critical Care Triad. Um, before we get started, I feel like that we need to mention a few things that's been going on inside the Heames community. Uh, inherently, what we do is uh, and can be a, a dangerous job. And uh, we just want to express our thoughts and our prayers to the Lifesaver bunch in alabama um we really want to uh extend our thoughts and our prayers to you guys we've we're thinking about you we're praying for you and um guys uh just so you know that we're we're definitely with you in spirit uh yeah, guys is there anything else that y'all want to add to that
1: definitely um some of the areas and stuff that i grew up in the ems over there and not too far from home so do want to extend our condolences to the families and the support to, uh, those that are recuperating and stuff right now. So definitely. And prayers to everybody in their family. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, so, uh, guys, uh, uh, now that, uh, just kind of wanted to, uh, do a continuation of where we were at on their last podcast. And, uh, Caleb, um, uh, you kind of want to, uh, reframe what we were going through and what we were doing, and then we'll kind of start the conversation from there.
1: Absolutely. So let's kind of just juxtapose this for just a few, a few minutes, compare and contrast. So now let's say that we've got the patient, we're already in flight, uh, or we're on the ground or we're in fixed wing because we're going to take this from both modes. Um, So we'll say that as we're transporting the patient, uh, we've gotten to the patient to this far as he's five foot eight male, uh, 55 years old, history of a smoker, hypertension, um, cold and flu like symptoms for the last few weeks, progressed to difficulty breathing, turned into a pulmonary toilet patient with, like Shaw said, with lung butter starting to develop down there. And now we're uh, uh, getting some more secretions. Plus, we're also getting some more high airway pressures. So we want to take this patient from a um, volume perspective into a pressure control um, uh, type of ventilation, and so I'm going to shoot it over to Shaw here in just a few in just a minute. But uh, remember, there's multiple different ways of actually how to uh, tackle this patient from a from a transport perspective. And so that's what we're trying to give. You'll hear Shaw gives his perspective. You'll hear me and then you'll have Jerome too as well. May not necessarily always agree, uh, but it is interesting discussions as to what we're trying to pose and to what we've actually seen uh, when we've transported these patients before. So Shaw, I'm going to shoot it over to you. And now let's say, uh, do you remember we had this patient on a volume? We lowered him down to right around 425 uh, we increased the rate up to bring up the sustain the minute volume. We did keep the FiO2 there at 80%, tried to work on the uh, total I time approach, maybe up their peak just a little bit. But now we see their pressures are starting to increase, and so now we're going to take it into a uh, more of a pressure-targeted ventilation. So I'll let, you see, or I'll let you talk about some tactics and what we can actually do from there. Sure.
2: So uh, pressure is my go-to uh, delivery of breath. <laughs> actually, I like pressure especially depending on your machine too, you need to know what your machine can and can't do as far as pressure or volume ventilation. If you have PRVC, pressure regulated volume control, it's kind of like the best of both worlds. You're guaranteed a minute volume with the volume, but you're getting a pressure type delivered breath with the flow tracing being more decelerating than most. Anyway, so you know, I'm looking at the patient and I'm going to tune them up first as best I can. And if I, did all my suctioning and bronchodilating and repositioning and all of that, and I decided to go to pressure ventilation, that's where I'm going to go for. I always have to remember my target tidal volume, right? So in this case, uh, Caleb said we're at 425 on volume ventilation, and I'm assuming we hit, we're hitting pips in the 30 and above, which is sort of a red flag for me. So one of the advantages to pressure control ventilation is I could limit that pressure. I, I could actually say, I will not let that peak inspiratory pressure or plateau pressure go above a certain number. That's the big advantage to this too, right? Aside from a better delivery of flow, but the big advantage here in this case is I don't want that. I don't want to blow a pneumo, right? So I'm going to switch over now. Some machines, believe it or not, will do the math for you. They'll go ahead if you go from VC or volume target to pressure target. It knows what the peak inspiratory pressure is to get that tidal volume. When you switch over to the pressure control, it'll take the peep into consideration and the P control or the PAP or whatever you want to call it the pressure above peep and minus so it'll minus the peep from the pip. And it'll dial in the PAP to get the tidal volume. It knows that. It knows what the lung compliance is. And those are, you know, a lot of machines do that. I mean, even the AHP300 does that. Uh, so, so that's a good advantage. But you got to know your machine to know if it, it can do that or not. I know the Hamilton T1 does it. Um, but the best way to do it, if you want to switch over from volume to ventilation, the simplest way. If you don't know if your machine automatically does it or not, well, let's say that the peak inspiratory pressure is 30 to get your tighter volumes of 420 or 425. You take your PEEP, your positive end expiratory pressure, and subtract it from your PIP or your P peak, and that's going to be your pressure, your driving pressure, the difference between the PIP and the PEEP. That's the number you're going to use. I call that a PAP, a pressure above PEEP. So you have to know if your machine is PIP-targeted or PAP, right? And that's a whole other module. We'll get into that later. So here I go. I'm going to go ahead and change over to pressure ventilation. And I decided I don't want my PIP or peak to go above 30. My PEEP is 5. I'm going to set my P control at 22 for now. That's going to give me a PIP of 27. And I want to look at one thing very important to look at when you're in pressure ventilation. Is my VTE my exhale tidal volume? So I go ahead and I make the move. I go into the mode panel. I put, on this particular case, I'm thinking of a Hamilton T1, and I go to PCV plus. I hit that and I punch in 22 of P control over a PEEP of five. I'm pretty much saying to that machine, my peak inspiratory pressure is going to be 27. So I know it shouldn't go beyond that unless, of course, the patient starts bucking the vent. But it shouldn't go beyond 27 because 22 plus 5 is 27. And as soon as I put that in and that pressure reaches 27, I want to look at my VTE, my exhale tidal volume, and see if it comes close to that 425. And then at that point, if it is, I leave it. If it's not, I titrate that pressure up. And I probably wouldn't want to go beyond 30 on the total P-peak because remember this, in pressure, we talked about this earlier, in pressure ventilation, you don't measure a plateau. Your P-peak is your plateau. That's, that's the level of pressure at the alveolar level, a rough estimate of what that is. So the alveolar are not seeing any more than that 30. All right. So that is your plateau pressure. So if I want to limit my plateau pressure to 30, as we've learned from the ARDS in that protocol, although this patient doesn't have ARDS, I would go to a 25 P control over a PEEP of 5, and I would closely watch my exhale my tidal volume. Now, the important thing here is if the lung compliance gets worse or the airway resistance increases, as you trend the P peak in a volume-delivered breath, you now need to trend what? well either your exhaled tidal volume if your machine measures it or you're definitely your expired minute volume all right that's the important one and i strongly encourage I'll give you an example. With the Hamilton T1, they have this really cool feature when you go into the alarm section. If Once the patient equilibrates and, and stabilizes, you hit the auto feature, and you have all these great presets around that uh, baseline that they're at, right? That includes expired minute volume and tidal volume and all that. The problem with that is is the, expi- the low minute volume alarm is way You may lose three liters of minute volume before that thing alarms on the auto feature. So my suggestion is, if you're in pressure ventilation, you take your low minute volume alarm. Remember, minute volume equals rate times tidal volume, and you're watching for your tidal volume dropping off where the compliance resistance gets worse. So you want to put your low minute volume alarm, expired minute volume alarm, really tight. So let's say that it's the minute volume is eight. My suggestion is to put that low minute volume alarm to 7.5. If you lose a half a liter, you want to know it. Your end CO2 will give you an indication too, if if it falls off too much. But in my world, I want to keep that minute low minute volume alarm really tight in pressure ventilation. Other than that, I've guaranteed myself, I'm not going to create any uh, more problems with the climbing P-peak And I'm a happy camper because I really like my pressure ventilation. The other thing to think about during pressure ventilation, and I can't stress this enough, is your inspiratory time. Okay, so now your inspiratory time can affect how much volume you're getting. If you decide because your I-to-E ratio is getting a little too tight, you want to go down on your I-time to widen the I-to-E ratio by going down on your eye time, you're going to take away some of your volume, right? So so remember that eye time can really fluctuate your volume in a pressure delivered breath. If you go up on your eye time, you may get more volume depending on the lung condition, right? A 1.2 eye time may give you more, maybe 50 milliliters more tidal volume than the 0.9 eye time. But that's going to affect your ID ratio. Right. So remember when you make one change on one thing, you got to pay attention to something else. All right. So I time plays a big role in pressure ventilation when it comes to getting volume back.
0: That's all I got for now. Sean, I kind of want to ask you a question and and I'm pretty sure I already know the answer, but when you, you brought up a good point, you said, that when you make one change, you need to pay attention and, and look and see if anything else needs to be corrected over your changes. Uh, what would you guys say on uh, making multiple changes at once? Or would you prefer to make one change at a time and see if it's going to work? What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think that it depends on
2: what you're changing. Right. And it, and it also depends on what you're trying to accomplish right? So a PEEP change for oxygenation takes a while depending on the lung condition, right? If it's severe ARDS, you may not see a change for a day. Absolutely. But if it's it's mild atelectasis, you may see the oxygenation improve within a half an hour. It all depends on what you're trying to do. The cool thing about today's machines are if you hit the respiratory rate and go to change it, it's going to immediately change and drastically change the I to E ratio. A lot of machines bring that to your attention. For the a lot of people don't recognize this. I think we mentioned it earlier with the LTV. When you hit the breath rate, guess what pops up on the monitored window? The I to E ratio.
0: Absolutely, it does. So those
2: are changes that'll happen right away. But you know, I'm a big if you're in an ICU and you have time to wait and the patient is stable. You do one change at a time just to see if you accomplish that goal, and you want to learn what what did change and why. If you're in a transport arena and you have a two or three hour transport or even less, do you really have time to wait to see? So as long as you're making safe changes that have a valid uh, reason behind it and that makes sense to you and your partner, uh I, I've made, often made uh, changes two three times, you know, two or three changes at once, especially like if I'm going up on my respiratory rate, I'll drop my eye time. Yes, sir. To, to equilibrate my eye to e ratio. So, yeah, it's a tough one. What do you think, Caleb?
0: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NamoresWellbeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vassar. Let's go. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of good things with the with the eye time. Um, also, sacrificing eye time too is also going to sacrifice a little bit of your oxygenation there too, because you're not going to increase your you're decreasing your mean airway pressure instead of increasing your mean airway pressure there. Um, so we we know that we're already on the pressure uh, control ventilation there, and we are trying to monitor the pressures that we're trying to get. But a lot of times it, it, you know I hear this with people. They don't like pressure control ventilation or pressure targeted ventilation because uh speaking solely from me, I didn't understand it for a while. You are limiting the pressure inside your chest cavities and the volume is actually going to be variable, but you're also having to understand um uh your ventilator. So, you know, just like we've talked about before, know thy ventilator. Thou shalt know thy ventilator. So um you uh you, you, and it's it, the reason why it's so important is to know that it, it's either a cumulative or additive or um non cumulative. And so, if it's a pressure above PEAT ventilator, if it's not a pressure above PEAT ventilator and it's not an additive, not, it's not cumulative, these types of things. Because we had a lot of these conversations uh with uh, some people that arrived at bedside during the COVID days, uh, and then. The crews are talking to the respiratory therapist and the respiratory therapist talking to the crews and nobody, nobody is is making that communication because we didn't necessarily understand additive, cumulative, summation, whichever values that you want to look. know, whether it was a pressure above peat ventilator, whether it wasn't a pressure above peat ventilator. And so that's what kind of getting us into is um, making sure that we're looking at some of these ventilators that we're transporting because the flow limitations, these types of things, and how all cre- uh, all ventilators are not created equal, especially the transport ventilators. They're just not. And so knowing that there's uh, pressure above PEEP, uh, wh- whether they're cumulative, whether it's not cumulative and talking to the respiratory therapist at bedside, because you've got to remember during the COVID days, they could be handling the upwards up to like 10 to 12 vent, different vents inside the hospital. You know, it was mass casualty situations and stuff on some of this stuff. And it's not funny, but at the same time, it was just like, it was, you have to laugh at it because it's just like, you'll, you'll cry. You know, I could only imagine thinking about this from uh, walking into, now you're managing the LTV 1200 down here in the ER and then you go back upstairs and then you're doing a Servo, uh, Servo I or a Puritan Bennett, whichever one, you know, whatever. And and then you're having to remember whether these are additive, whether they're not additive, cumulative, non-cumulative, whichever terminology that you're actually looking for. So it kind of goes the same way for us. So we started teaching our people on the on the ground and in the air when you're going into some of these hospital facilities is to start making sure that you're asking that and, and seeing uh, because it is the differences. And understanding eye time is one of those things too um, where some of the ventilators try to focus mo- uh, more more prospectively on a eye to E ratio versus a uh, total eye time. I'll tell you, I'll be the first one. I am not good on eye to E ratios, especially two o'clock in the morning. This is my third or fourth flight for the night. And now I've just washed a flight suit and I don't have any of my cheat sheets in there or something else. My phone is not picking up. Now I'm trying to go, but I know if I'm increasing my eye time, which normal for this adult patient over here is going to be somewhere between 0.78 all the way up to like 0.94, 0.92, somewhere right in there, 0.85, something. I'm targeting that total eye time because I know in the back of my head is if I'm increasing the eye time, I'm increasing the oxygenation, plus I'm also increasing the volume and stuff that the patient is also going to be getting. And so if I'm uh, getting that to a relative standpoint then in my head, that's that's one perspective that I'm looking at. Plus also the reason why I also like the pressure, and I haven't said this that much, but I do like pressure control and pressure targeted ventilation because I'm limiting the pressure inside the chest cavity. I'm controlling that. And so now I know that the plateau pressure is not going over that. And now understanding that my plateau pressures are going to be below that and I can't get necessarily a true plateau pressure measurement because there is no zero flow under the pressure control ventilation, you've got a decelerating flow pattern and stuff on the way down. And so that's going to be a different perspective, too, as to uh, looking into the strategies of transporting this and and knowing that in the back of my head. But now I just have to remember is to the the limits, the alarm limits. And Shalf and I have talked about this before is that's we've heard crews that's actually called us on some of these flights or some of these ground transports. Hey, I'm not getting the volumes that I need. Well, because you're limiting it on your, on, your limit, uh, on your pressure limits over there. Whatever the limitations is actually being set, it could be P limit, uh, P max. It could be a uh, high limit over there, uh, targeted PIP high limit over there, low limit, whatever else that's, that, that the limits are actually set to. You're limiting the pressure insi- inside the chest cavity. And therefore, it's trying to overcome the resistance and the compliance to deliver that tidal volume uh, to the patient. And so you, you could be needing to get, you know, like a 400 tidal volume, 425 tidal volume. But the first time you set a pressure and you limit it and it's not allowing it to go past that point, you're looking at your volumes over here at 275. And next thing you know, your minute ventilation is going down. Oh, two sets are going down. And you, you see even further, you see your end CO2 escalating, like going through the roof. You know, so you have to think about this as, um, OK, now I've got to increase those alarm limits up there to make sure that I'm getting the title volumes uh, that I'm also delivering. The other one, uh, and I'll punt it back over to Jerome here in just a minute. But the other one that I wanted to uh, talk about, too, is um, he, he, he mentioned this on the last one. Normal values. Normal is great for a book, but you can throw normal out the door as soon as you walk into the aircraft to the back of the truck. To a fixed wing, um, you have to know physiology. You have to know advanced pathophysiology inside the uh, the chest cavities and to what's actually going on. Remember, Rome was not built in a day. If you try to taste, uh, tra- chase entitled CO two in some of these patients, you're going to kill them probably, or you're going to cause some very or can, can cause some detrimental harm to the patient. You got to understand is you've got 45 minutes, at least for us, you know, sometimes on the flights or for the grounds, maybe 60, 65, 70 minutes, you're not going to fix some of these patients. It's called permissive hypercapnia and trying to get them to where they actually need to be understanding the pathophysiology that's inside the chest too. Uh, the normal uh, section for them. That's going to be their normal values. And what type of CO2 do the, does the patient live at anyway? Like, what are their normals, you know? I don't know, Jerome, Um, anything else to offer here?
0: I I think uh, both of you brought up some really good points, and especially when you started talking about uh, when you have pressure ventilation and you're not delivering the amount of tidal volume that you thought that you should be delivering. Uh, I think that's a really interesting point because uh, not too long ago, I was in the middle of an LTV 1200 class and – we were doing return demonstrations and setting these uh, the ventilators up and, and doing pressure ventilation. And a lot of those questions were coming up is I'm not getting what I'm wanting to deliver to the patient. And and how do I adjust that? And I think that was a pretty good thing that you brought up that, um, you know, you're, you're the one controlling this. And I like that um, we've brought this conversation back up because I remember. On an earlier podcast uh, (laughs) that um, when we started talking about pressure versus volume, um, you know, I I honestly do think that I know that I've said earlier that I didn't really know which one that I was going to prefer or which one that I was. Uh, Guys, um, I think you've convinced me. I really do. I think you've convinced me now that I think I'm more of a pressure guy. I really do think I am that may be willing to be changed. <laughs> so uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So
2: one of the things I like pressure for, especially on a transport ventilator is the fact that I can limit the uh, plateau pressure or the peak pressure. The, but, but the main thing is the flow available to the patient in a pressure delivered breath versus a volume delivered breath. A traditional, and this is where the, the transport com- the uh, transport ventilator companies or ventilator companies have really come way, way deep into technology. I'm glad
1: you're getting to this point.
2: The, the PRVC piece is, is kind of takes this argument out of the equation, but let me just say that in a volume-delivered breath in, in some ventilators or most ventilators, the flow available to the patient, the peak flow is fixed based on the volume and the eye time. Right, they're limited to how much flow they can pull in. They're gonna get the volume and it's gonna cost the pressure. But flow is how fast the gas gets in there, right? You get the three things, right? Flow generator, target a volume, or target a pressure. With pressure-delivered breath, you're targeting a pressure, the volume's variable, but the flow is variable too, and it's based on what the patient needs and the capability. Of the machine, right? The the liters per minute that that turbine blower uh, or a piston can give to that patient, and it's way faster than a fixed flow for a volume delivered breath. And we've we've done that in a lot of the classes that I do. Especially um, the LTV is a really good example. It's tough to do it with the Hamilton because the Hamilton's PRVC in volume. So so I mean, you just it's tough to to feel the difference. But the difference is when I'm doing the classes with the LTV, I'll put them in volume ventilation based on their gender, and height. I'll fix, you know, put a fixed volume in there, and I'll have them breathe. And they get, they kind of, you know, some people like it, and some people like, hey, I'm not getting enough air. I don't want to go up on the volume. When I switch them over to pressure for the same peak as toy pressure, it's amazing. And you could hear the machine, the turbine, spool up, getting way more flow available to that patient. So there's a lot of different reasons I like pressure but that really to me is the main one. Now studies again have been done on either side of that and say well there's no different outcomes of morbidity and all that stuff. So but but I know for my own sake, right, that that a pressure delivered breath and that's true with pressure support too. It the, the gas goes in faster. That's all that's all you can really say about it.
1: Yeah, and I know we talk a lot about the uh, the turbine driven vents, the piston driven vents, the Maddox. But it, like Schauf was saying, it, it limits on the flow. So that's the reason why on the piston driven vents, on the pressure, it's harder for them to deliver that constant flow because the flow is so such variable. And if you understand the dynamics of each of the transport vents that you're tra- that you're that you're working with, then you're going to understand is okay. Well, yeah, maybe I am a pressure person. And I'm pressure delivery guy, but my patient is not liking the pressure because of the flow uh, limitations and stuff there from the piston versus the turbine. Because like you said, you can hear the turbine-driven vent spooling up, and it's more efficient. It's like we always use the analogy, would you rather ride in a Gulf Stream or a King Air? Both of them probably going to get you there to a point. Uh, but one of them is going to be more efficient, a lot more efficient, and it's going to meet your patient's needs a lot, lot better uh, depending on what the physiology structure is inside your patient.
2: Does the Gulf Stream have a flight attendant with it too? Or...
1: <laughs> so you're always thinking ahead, Are always thinking ahead.
0: And I'm going to throw it out for our ground peeps out there too. If you guys don't know the difference between a Gulf Stream and those two <laughs> aircrafts, uh, let's look at it like this Would you rather get there in a Pinto? Or a Porsche. Mm-hmm.
2: Or, or one of them is fifty million and the other is two
0: million dollars? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: depending depending on what you're transporting, you know, some uh, you don't need a Cadillac to transport just uh, you know, just basically a 15, 20 minute transport. You really don't. But do you need a Cadillac to transport a 45, 60, 75 minute flight, ground transport patient on ARDS, ARDS patient, um, uh, with a poor uh, PF ratio and you're constantly trying to titrate some of this stuff up and he is he is needing the flow oh yes absolutely that's where you need those types of patients or those types of ventilators to transport those patients so again meeting that meeting the needs of your patient uh, um, on that one
2: PF ratio did you just open up the door for another module
1: yeah I opened up a can of worms I think you know for I'm making a list guys I think
0: think we've uh, we've got quite a few topics to cover.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. But given that this one's a continuation, um, is there any other points that we need to cover on this uh, case study?
2: Yeah, I I think the one thing that that I've noticed um, with the teachings and things like that, like it gets down to uh, provider comfort level. Right. So so when are they going to feel comfortable switching over to a different mode or a different uh, pressure or volume uh, delivery? It's it all comes down to experience. Right. So there's a lot of people, there's a lot of modes out there that have been out there for a very long time that nobody uses because they don't have the experience with it. And, And it's just like they'd rather be stuck with what they know because they know how to adjust it and work with it. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that until you run into some problems with high pressures, right? So you got to look and think outside the box sometimes and lean on some of your resources, call people and say, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Is this the right thing to do? And you do it one or two or three times and then you get comfortable with it, right? Remember, it's always patient safety
0: and patient comfort.
1: Right. And it doesn't right.
0: start with uranium,
1: okay? No. I just want to throw that out and there. And rock is not as sedative.
0: You <laughs> know, <laughs> is it something like what is it hypoxia and altered mental status and um hmm, versed and rock uranium doesn't treat hypoxia
1: yeah yeah (laughs) got another four h's well guys stay tuned (laughs) on the next episode because we are going to try not necessarily continue this one but we're going to go on to the vent specs and can and do the uh, pressure control ventilation pcv plus on the hamilton t1 specs but I'll turn it over to Jerome for closing thoughts and stuff on this one.
0: Guys, I think you covered, uh, covered it well enough. Um, as always, I I enjoy just sitting here listening. Uh, I think I, I probably, uh, learn more than I probably even contribute. So, uh, I appreciate the conversation and, uh, appreciate getting to listen to you guys. Um, with well, that being said, I think we're kind of backed up to our time limit where we wanted to go with this. And uh as Caleb said, uh keep listening to further podcasts because uh we're not really gonna continue the scenario, but we're gonna kind of branch out and cover some of the things that we talked about later. So um, as I said in the beginning of the podcast, we still want to send our thoughts and our prayers out to the lifesaver crew. Uh final thoughts on that is uh um, Take care of yourself, guys. Take care of each other so that we can take care of our patients. Uh, Absolutely. really do appreciate you guys, uh, listening to us. Uh, continue to follow, continue to subscribe if you hadn't, uh, and thank you guys again. Please send us some emails. We'd look forward to, uh, getting them from you guys at criticalcaretriad at outlook.com. And without extending this any further, uh, thank you guys for joining and we'll talk to you later on the next show.
2: Thanks for listening, and send us some case studies. We'll walk through them for you. Thanks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like
1: subscribe button too. Always give us a you know five star rating if you want to. <laughs> Just saying. I'll take them. I'll, I'll take everyone. else of donuts for you if you <laughs> do. <Yeah. laughs> See you guys later.
0: See you guys. The information provided in this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for medical direction or training. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the organization or institution that they may represent. The listeners are advised that the information contained in this podcast should be used in conjunction with professional medical training and best practice guidelines. The host and guests of this podcast take no responsibility for the actions or
2: decisions of the listeners.